Welcome to BMO COVID-19 Insights. Visit bmocm.com slash COVID-19 for more up-to-the-minute insights. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the BMO Auto Market update starting down the path of recovery from COVID-19 conference call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Jamie Gordon, the Director of Strategic Initiatives for BMO's Auto Finance Team. Please go ahead. Thank you, Sai, and, and welcome, everyone. We have a lot to cover over the next 45 minutes, but first I'll start with a quick walkthrough of today's agenda. We'll begin with opening remarks from Robert Sadikursky, our SVP and Head of Automotive Finance, and Paul Hunsley, our VP and Head of Retail Automotive Finance. Following Robert and Paul will be our BMO economist, Eric Johnson, who will share insights on the key trends and changes we expect to see at the retailer level. We will then hear from our keynote speaker, Dr. Greg Wells, a health and performance expert and author who has dedicated his career to making the science of human limits understandable and actionable. For over 25 years, Dr. Wells has worked with some of the highest performing individuals on this planet, including Olympic and world champions, as well as a wide range of organizations. Dr. Wells will discuss the key wellness areas for you to consider, along with some tips to build a practical transition plan as we transition back into the workplace. Let's get started. Robert, over to you. All right. Thanks, Jamie, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I'd like to, to welcome and thank you uh, for joining the call today, recognizing that time for all of us these days is uh, particularly scarce during these unprecedented times, uh, and we're being pulled in many different directions. So, again, I appreciate you taking this time with us today. Let me start by saying it's uplifting to see businesses starting to open up across the country. There's some green shoots that we're starting to see uh, slowly. Uh, and to use an auto analogy, to be looking forward through the windshield versus the rearview mirror. I'd also like to thank uh, those customers who provided input to our teams to help structure our relief programs. And I also wanted to, to touch on uh, some of the questions that we received from you in advance of this call, which revolved around what are we prepared to do as next steps if further flexibility is required. So let me say this. In a word, we will be supportive. We'll manage each of your each of our customers' needs and your needs based on specific uh, circumstances as, as we need to. If you have specific concerns uh, or questions, the best thing to do is to connect with your BMO senior account manager to have a discussion around building a plan, contemplating changes, and strategizing. Uh, I will say this, though. If we do decide to create or modify existing broad-based programs, we'll be sure to, to use a consultative approach and, uh, and dialogue with uh, our customers in designing those to ensure that they're, they're properly calibrated. Uh, as Jamie says, we have a full agenda today. And before I hand it over to Paul Hunsley to say a few words, I would like to thank uh, all of our customers on the line for the privilege of our partnership and rewarding us with your business. Now more than ever, we truly appreciate it and we stand ready to continue to earn it. And with that, Paul, I'll uh, pass it over to you. Thanks, Robert. Firstly, I'd like to echo Robert's sentiment and thank all of our dealer partners for joining this call. It certainly has been a challenging time, but I think, and I'm hopeful, that the eye of the storm has passed. I know Eric will dive deeper into the economic forecast right after me, and we should be encouraged by the fact that the retail landscape is starting to open up. 
A couple of quick comments on the retail side of the business. Firstly, we will continue to follow a dynamic playbook in order to accommodate any impacts to the business. And, of course, in order to be dynamic and move with some level of confidence, we'll continue to stay close to the street, if you will, and listen to our dealers. So we'll clearly understand, you know, what needs to be done to support your business, which is obviously critical to our success. Number two, the business has definitely changed. I know I'm stating the obvious, but the retail environment has clearly been impacted, so we need to adjust accordingly. We're accelerating our digital agenda with uh, help from those like uh, Jamie, who's uh, started off the call. And to meet their needs of our customers we certain, and their dealers, we certainly need to be engaged there. With the end goal of improving the BMO experience at every touch point, for example, through lending, funding, sales support, and communication. As Robert mentioned, we will include our dealer partners in exploring and implementing BMO Retail 2.0, if you will. So stay, stay tuned and uh, we'd love to gather your intel. Now, I'll hand it over to a key component, our economist, Eric Johnson. Over to you, Eric. Thank you so much, Paul. I hope everyone can hear me okay. I think it's fitting to be joining you from Toronto on somewhat of a gloomy day to provide you with uh, some material on our economic update um, from BMO Capital Markets. Um, So I'm just going to get into some of our forecasts for where we see kind of the U.S. and Canada going from a macroeconomic perspective, uh, with the obvious caveat that, uh, you know, forecasts these days have pretty short half-lives, and particularly when tomorrow we're going to be getting some confirmation on how broadly um, employment losses have spread. So certainly, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt. And also, um, you can always check our website, which you will have a link to in the material that will follow this call, uh, where you can always check more up-to-date information from us. So I think to start off with the macroeconomic perspective, um, what we're seeing now is certainly a massive global economic contraction, um, and it's at a speed that we've never really seen before um, with, you know, so much of uh, various parts of the economy shutting down. And I think where we stand now, sort of the timing and the strength of the recovery that's going to follow is still uncertain. Um, I would say that our base case, though, is that by 2021, we should really be seeing a rebound from the depths of this contraction. Um, that being said, I think for certain parts of the economy, it's going to be a long time until we, you know, we um, might see, quote unquote, sort of a return to normal. And there I'm thinking about things like concerts or international airfare or some of these things that involve uh, larger gatherings. But I think on some of the positive uh, news, at least as, as far as the situation we find ourselves in now, a lot of the public health measures that have been put in place in Canada and the United States have led to um, a flattening of some of the epidemic curves. Um, what I will say is there are big regional differences still. So Montreal is a great example in Canada where we're still seeing as many new cases per day in Montreal as all of Ontario recently and sometimes even more deaths than the rest of Canada. Um, and similarly, in the United States, if you exclude New York City and New Orleans and Detroit, who have had sort of earlier outbreaks and are starting to see those outbreaks calm down, um, you know, the epidemic curve is rising in other parts of the U.S. and even accelerating. So I will say some of that is based on testing. Testing is expanding in states outside of New York City. Um, so that's certainly one reason why we're seeing higher cases than before. But I will say a lot of states are still testing at lower rates than Canadian provinces. So George is a good example where on a daily basis they're still testing about, uh, or I should say Ontario is testing about one and a half times more per day than Georgia. And Ontario has about 10,000 fewer total cases so far. So that's one thing to sort of watch on the downside risk. Um, so the good news certainly on reopening economies is that more than half of states have 
partially reopened. And now most of the provinces, including BC yesterday, have announced plans to reopen. And certainly Quebec is on the leading edge of uh, various parts of the economy reopening. And I will say there's still going to be some regional differences that are going to make it challenging to return to normal. Um, the, the, I think a couple of days ago, the president of the Chicago Federal Reserve, uh, Charles Evans, said it best when he said the relaxing of stay-at-home policies is a bold decision with pretty high risks. So kind of narrowing on some of the economic trends we're seeing, um, certainly in Canada and the U.S., uh, there's going to be some significant declines in GDP this year. For Canada, we see uh, GDP falling 6%. In 2020, and in the U.S., we see it falling 5%. And one way kind of worth thinking about the shutdown in general is that about one week of economic activity um, in Canada currently is uh, falling it by about half to three quarters of a percent of GDP. And so if you think about 10 weeks of a shutdown, that's roughly in the neighborhood of 5 to 7.5% of GDP. So that's sort of a, a benchmark we're using a lot to think about um, what kind of economic effect the shutdown's having on the economy. So I will say those are about growth rates. When we think about levels, um, our base case has kind of the, those economies returning to their pre-recession or pre-pandemic uh, levels of economic activity by the end of 2021. So growth rates will come back first, but certainly um, in level terms, it's going to take a little bit longer to recover. And then, you know, there is going to be some differences at regional levels. So in Canada, provinces that are more oil producing dependent, like Alberta, Saskatchewan, Newfoundland, will be worse off. Um, whereas at least currently, um, we see the Maritimes, not including Newfoundland, um, being a little bit better off uh, in 2020 than some of the other parts of Canada. So another thing certainly that's prescient recently is that unemployment rates are likely to surge um, in both Canada and the U.S. So in the month of April, we'll probably see them both um, head north of 15%. Um, and by the end of the year, we'll see... Uh, Maybe the U.S. around 7% unemployment rate and Canada around 8%. So that's certainly, you know, much elevated relative to where we started 2020. Um, and I think one thing to look for tomorrow in the job releases is one, um, focus both on employment and unemployment numbers, just because with so many people on temporary layoffs or furloughs, it's a little bit harder to think about what an unemployment rate means than normal. Um, and so that's why employment's also a good thing to look at. Um, and one thing is also look at how broadly some of the job losses have spread. So in March, what we saw, which was um, quite different than the, the global financial crisis, was 93% of the job losses were in services, um, whereas in the global financial crisis, it was quite different. 70% of job losses there were in the good sector. Um, and there's also a lot of um, interesting gendered patterns as well in the job losses. So 62% of job losses in March in Canada were by women. Whereas in the global financial crisis, it was about 79% by men. So certainly very different patterns. And a lot of that is that consumable services were the first thing to take a hit rather than, say, durable goods. Um, and one thing to watch for in the recovery is it's a little bit harder to make up for foregone consumption of things like haircuts and restaurant meals as opposed to automobiles, which um, if people delay those, they're more likely to buy that automobile that they sort of uh, didn't buy kind of in the recession of the interim period. So that's kind of one thing to pay attention to. I will say there's been a lot of significant fiscal and monetary measures that are going to help provide a bridge for uh, the Canadian and U.S. economy uh, to weather the storm. And one thing to you know think of here is in the U.S., there's some evidence that households that were getting stimulus payments uh, were spending, you know, almost as much as 35 cents for every dollar stimulus they got within the first 10 days. So it's certainly a sign that those stimulus payments are having an effect. I will say 
a lot of those payments were going to things like debt payments and food or non-durables as opposed to auto-related spending, which is a little bit different from what we saw in the global financial crisis in the U.S., where we did see a lot of that stimulus money going into cars. I think with um, elevated levels of unemployment and lower economic activity, that's certainly going to put downward pressure on auto sales going forward. Um, but I think there is, you know, some good news that came relatively recently in that potentially what we saw come out for April is maybe the bottom for both Canada and the United States. Um, I will say in the U.S., maybe with a little bit more um, rush to reopen, there's a little bit more downside risk that we might see um you know, potentially new measures having to be put in place in some places that uh, um, maybe opened up a bit too quickly. Um, and, you know, that being said, I think, you know, sales were much better in the U.S. than we were anticipating. So they were down about 48% year over year in the U.S. Um, we were seeing them, you know, fall maybe more to the five to six million unit range. Instead, um, on an annual rate, they were at 8.6 million units. So that's certainly better than expected. In Canada, in April, we saw sales come down 75% year over year. Um, and so certainly that was about where we were seeing uh, vehicles uh, fault. Um, so just around, I guess, 500,000 units uh, in Canada at an annual rate. Um, so I think when we're trying to parse what, you know, the differences between uh, Canada and the U.S. were in April, there's a few things that I was sort of thinking about. Um, one thing just on a broader trend, certainly if the market you um, – you know, our part of is, is a little bit more aligned with light trucks and pickups in particular than you were much above trend. So small pickup trucks in Canada did very well um, in, in the first quarter of 2020, even when, you know, the entire vehicle sales were down 20 percent and large pickup trucks were only down uh, around 2 percent relative to that 20 percent. So certainly, you know, what product segments you're in matters a lot. And, um, you know, light trucks crept up to almost uh, 80% of market share uh, in Canada in the first quarter. So that's certainly at least one positive sign on kind of a product segment space. And then in terms of comparing Canada and the U.S., one thing that you want to think of is vehicles tend to be more of a necessity in the U.S. than Canada. So American households are more likely to actually skip payments on a mortgage than they are to skip payments on an auto loan, where in Canada it tends to be the reverse. Another thing that we saw as well is that southern and western states um, experienced less of a decline in sales in April. And that's largely because in the shutdown parameters, a lot of states were still allowing vehicle sales. So certainly Georgia, Florida, Texas, um, New York and California, for example, were much more prohibitive of sales if they weren't being done online. Um, and then another thing that played a big role is incentives um, were really big um, in the United States in April. So uh, J.D. Power, I think, had them at around $4,800 a vehicle. Um, BMWs were even higher at, you know, almost 6500 a vehicle, which is um, you know, 6% increase month over month and about 17% higher than last year. Um, and another thing as well on the financing side, a lot of financing companies were offering 84 month or longer zero interest financing. So I think one thing to be careful of there is that, you know, some estimates for large dealership groups put financing and insurance at about 25% of total profits. The one thing you could be thinking of is that some groups are engaging in kind of a gamble where you're trying to retain more aftermarket business um, by giving up some of, you know, the margin you might make on financing. Um, there is some signs that there could be some headwinds on the aftermarket side. So certainly people are driving less than they were before. And if there's, you know, an extension of work from home parameters, then that might also depress uh, vehicle demand a little bit. On the upside, though, I think public transit use is also likely not to be as high as it was kind of pre-outbreak. So that might also, um, you know, provide a bit more cushion to, to vehicle use as well.
So another thing that was really important is online sales. Um, and I think this is where the U.S. really benefits from market size. So on the top, actually, there's a lot of concentration among, you know, the top dealerships in Canada. So I think the top 10 dealerships in Canada control about 11% of dealerships, where in the U.S. that's a, a little bit smaller. The difference is, you know, if you can have a pretty small network of dealerships in California and, you know, there's only 600 kilometers between L.A. and San Francisco, and that's about the market size of Canada. So it makes it a little bit easier from a cost perspective to ship vehicles around um, if you're selling online as opposed to if you had dealerships spread across the country geographically, which might make sense from, you know, spreading out idiosyncratic risk, but it makes it harder to operate a platform of online sales. So I think those are some things to think about when you're comparing the two. Um, some other good news certainly that came out of the UK is UK vehicle sales were down 97% in April, whereas Tesla Model 3 sales were up 161%. They were also the leading vehicle seller. So I think that points to two trends. One is that the EV segment has been a little bit more resilient through this. And also, if you think of Tesla, a platform that largely engages in online sales um, and customers are used to buying those things online, um, it certainly is providing some cushion in the downfall here. So I think those point to some of the important things we're seeing on the online side is that where customers are used to buying something online and there's a bit more comfort level on both the customer and the dealer side, um, that can really help through a, you know, a crisis like this where it's a little bit harder for people to come in and test drive a car or buy something in person. Um, so I think in general, what we're likely to see is that, um, you know, at least with Ontario driving much of the vehicle market and then having, you know, some plans to reopen vehicles. I think that's dealerships. That's a really good sign. Um, and then, you know, the downside risks certainly in the U.S. remain a little bit higher um, with them opening up a little bit earlier than us. Um, so I think one other thing just to mention here as well is inventory management is going to be relatively important. So we're seeing, you know, day supplies of inventory jump from, you know, 95 days in March to I think as much as 100, 120 in April. So I think that's one thing. So maybe on the incentive side, maybe the, some of the U.S. sellers were just engaging in trying to get rid of that inventory earlier. But I think that's going to be one thing to pay attention to in the months to come. So I think there's a lot more material um, that you'll find in the slide deck that we'll send around afterwards. Um, and certainly if you have any questions, feel free to email uh, or get in touch with me. Uh, my contact information will be in those as well. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Greg Wells. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Eric. And we really appreciate the opportunity to speak to everyone today. Uh, welcome, and, and thank you for joining us. I've been fortunate to work uh, with, you know, for and with Bank of Montreal since I was 21, and so that's a very long time. So I'm honored to be here to support all of you in this very interesting time. Uh, I'm a physiologist, uh, scientist, researcher in human performance, so I want to share with everyone today some ideas around human performance and human health that I think are quite relevant for all of you when it comes to the plan that you might create moving forwards for your organizations. Uh, I will begin by talking about health and safety. We'll then get into some psychological safety issues that I think are going to be relevant for you moving forwards and then uh, a tactic that I have for you uh, and the rationale behind clarity of communication. So I will start out very physiological and then I will end up um, very, very practical it's a very unusual time for all of us, and uh, from a health and, perspe health and safety perspective, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, horrific, uh, obviously, in many ways, and I certainly in my own business, things have shifted significantly. But I think that we have a blue ocean opportunity because what has ultimately happened, I believe, 
is that really health and safety and wellness are now priority one for almost every business that exists. And if you are not thinking about health and safety and the well-being of your employees and your customers, first and foremost, uh, I believe that that is a huge risk. But similarly, in the blue ocean thinking, it is a massive opportunity. So I've seen little tiny things come out even this week where, for example, Lamborghini has uh, put out an automated, uh, sorry, a virtual reality application where you can look at uh, a Lamborghini Huracan through your phone in full virtual reality, place it in your driveway, look into the car, explore the car completely virtually. And the reason why that is so compelling at the moment is because obviously it's safe. You don't have to go to a dealership. You don't have to take the test drive. You can still experience the car. And when it comes to health and safety moving forwards, we need to really consider that uh, a few things. First of all, what is the health and safety of our employees going to look like as a priority so that they feel safe and they are safe? Secondly, what's it going to be like for a customer arriving to buy a car or perhaps even a customer dropping off their car for service? What is all of that going to look like, not just in terms of the transaction, but in terms of the health, well-being, and safety of all of those individuals? If we can nail that, I believe that you it could put you in a position whereby you are radically ahead of your competition and could gain some significant advantages over the coming years. And I take years deliberately thinking that a, a vaccine is probably going to be in play um, hopefully, you know, hopefully early 2021, but to get that herd immunity across our entire population is going to take some significant time. So we're not getting out of this anytime soon when it comes to health and safety perspectives. We need to take advantage of these opportunities. So when we think about health, safety, and wellness, and that being our number one priority, I want to just explain the psychophysiology of stress. And the reason why I want to do that is because if you understand the fight or flight response that humans have when they are scared, which is essentially what's happening in the entire world right now. We are scared of COVID-19. We are fearful of the future because the future is uncertain. That causes a significant response inside the body. And if you understand that response, that will help you make the right decisions moving forwards for your companies, for your staff, and for your customers. So essentially what happens when we enter into fight or flight is that our senses, your eyes, your ears, pick up information from the environment. That information goes into your brain and a structure called the amygdala, which you may have heard of, decides if that environmental information is threatening. If it decides that it is threatening, it triggers fear, anxiety, and aggression. We're certainly seeing that and have experienced that over the last six weeks. Physiologically, the next thing that happens is that your hypothalamus, and there will not be a test on any of this, but just that you understand, activates your sympathetic nervous system, which shoots electricity down into your body. Your heart pounds. Your eyes open up. You breathe harder. Your mouth gets dry. That is the actual response that people have when they are scared or threatened. This is the response that your people will have when they arrive back at work when we open back up again. We need to help them through this moment of fear. That is what is going to happen when someone drops off their car for service. There will be fear. Um, we need to help people pivot through that. Now, the other thing that happens when we are fearful and this sympathetic nervous system kicks in is that your pituitary gland, which sits right on top of your kidneys, will dump adrenaline and cortisol into your bloodstream, which are the stress hormones that give us all of these responses. So that's, the, that's what happens inside of our bodies. Basically, your body gets ready 
if it feels that it's under threat, if it is scared, if it is fearful, it gets ready to fight or flight. And that basically means run. Uh, the game for all of us in a leadership position, so if you're on this call, you're, you're thinking about how do we actually navigate forwards from here, is to contemplate the fact that I would, I would submit to all of you that we are thinking about being a lighthouse. And all of our customers and employees are in boats out on the ocean in a storm. And our job is to help them navigate through to safe harbor. In order for us to be able to do that as leaders, we need to counteract the stress response for ourselves. And I believe that there's five things that we can do to make that happen. First thing is breathe. It is incredible how powerful breathing is for all of us. This is important before you get on a call. This is important before you do a meeting. This is even if it's virtual. This is important if you get a question that is challenging. When we take a couple of deep breaths, it totally changes the physiology of our brain. The region of your brain that controls breathing is called the medulla. It's right next to the stress center in the brain. They are linked. When you take those slow, deep breaths, you can use your breathing center to calm your stress center. And as leaders, your people will mirror your intensity. So you can actually calm people down by just being calm yourself. The second thing that helps us to navigate fear, anxiety, and stress is to focus on what we can control and what influences us individually. So an example of this, just to sort of lighten things up a little bit and make, not make it all doom and gloom, is if you think back to Jose Bautista hitting a home run in the 2015 playoffs against the Texas Rangers, that bat flip moment that so many of us might have remembered. When afterwards he was asked about that moment, they said, Jose, what was going through your brain? He said, well, when I walked up to the plate, my adrenaline wasn't 10 out of 10, it was 10 million out of 10. It was uh, there was 50,000 people in the stadium all going crazy, but I couldn't hear them. In fact, I couldn't even see them. They were all out of focus. All that I could see was the pitcher. And on the winning pitch, all that I could see was the pitcher's shoulder. I was so focused that I could see how the fingers were positioned on the ball, and I knew what pitch was coming. That enabled him to hit the home run. 50,000 people in the stadium, all sorts of distractions, all sorts of noise, all the pressure in the world. And as the pressure increased, his focus and attention narrowed. That is a huge message for all of us in leadership positions is that as pressure increases, which it is right now, our focus and attention must narrow. Anything that is outside of our control gets moved away. Distractions get moved away. That enables us to control our own stress response so we can positively influence others. The other thing that's super powerful and something for you to consider when you reopen your businesses is the power of micro breaks. Stress is only problematic if it is constant and long-term. If you take breaks and you break up moments of stress with things that make you healthier or better, like going for a walk, meditating, talking to a friend, listening to some music, doesn't matter what it is, micro breaks turn stress into a positive adaptation stimulus. You actually get stronger. Think about lifting weights. You take a break. You come back a few days later. You're stronger. If you don't take a break, you get injured. Same analogy. So when we open up our businesses again, I strongly encourage you help people take those breaks during the day. Make sure that people program in time to take vacation during the next year because they're super struggling right now. Everyone is really worried and there's lots to go on that we need to recover from. So when we also consider stress and breaking that up, we know that exercise breaks down stress hormones. So don't be afraid to let people to go for a walk or yourself to do that on a daily basis. And if there's one thing that's going to set up your cultures moving forward as we, as we reimagine the future, 
and what your dealerships might look like. For example, nutrition is so foundation. If we can help people eat smarter, that is going to make a massive difference. So contemplate, like, what does the space look like where people are eating? How do we keep people six feet apart, safe, but still able to carry on a conversation so we rebuild people's sense of community? These are all things for us to contemplate. Now, if we do all of that right and we manage this stress situation well, the next thing that I would love for you to contemplate is helping people overcome that sense of fear or anxiety as they walk into your dealerships or your organizations, wherever they happen to be. And the foundation for that, I believe, is going to be something called psychological safety. Now, Google did a bit of research a few years ago called Project Aristotle, where they examined all of the teams within Google to find out which teams were high-performing, which teams were not high-performing, and why some teams outperformed others. And what they discovered, the number one factor that determined whether or not a team was going to be successful in a project, in a task, in whatever it was that they were doing, was something called psychological safety. And in a In a team with high psychological safety, teammates, employees, feel safe to take risks around their team members. They feel confident that no one on the team will embarrass or punish anyone else for admitting mistake, asking a question, or offering a new idea. I believe that right now, as we restart our businesses, we have a unique opportunity to restart our businesses and and reimagine the future. In order to do that, we need to be highly innovative in order for us to be able to function at the highest possible level in this new environment. Therefore, we need people admitting when they make a mistake. We need people to be challenging and asking questions. We need people, even within your organization, to offer new ideas about how to improve health and safety within the places that we are going to go back to work. We need support to exceed risk. The risk of all of us going back to work is significant. Your organizations need to make sure that support exceeds risk. A simple strategy around that that I have for you is from an organization that I'm working with in um, Cambridge. And what they're doing is before they reopen the factory, their health and safety team is doing a video to explain to people what a return to look works, return to work looks like. So the reception area is no longer going to be a reception area for people coming to visit because they're not going to allow that anymore. It's going to be a place where you can come in, wash your hands, disinfect before you go in. They even check your temperature before you go in to work. Work will be set up so that you're six feet apart. They're going to explain this to people before they ever come back so that when they arrive, that fear response is going to be lower. This, I think, is a huge opportunity for us to lead into the final idea that I have for you, which is clarity of communication. And the most important thing around this clarity of communication, around establishing psychological safety, around helping to navigate this stressful environment that we are all in, is that when we are clear with our communication, when we are psychologically safe, when we are managing our stress, it helps us to mitigate the sense of fear and anxiety that we have in this type of an environment. The reason why this is so fundamentally important is because Creativity, agile thinking, innovation, iteration, all depend upon us being able to think in such a way where we are not afraid of failure. The instant that you enter into fear and anxiety, your creativity, your agile thinking, your problem solving disappears. The research on this is quite clear. In order to be getting into creative brain states, 
you need to be in what's called a theta wave brain pattern, which is very slow electrical patterns moving through the brain. It's also a state where different regions of the brain are active at the same time and are connected by something called the default mode network. When we are fearful, when we are anxious, when we are stressed, the brain consolidates all of its work into single regions of the brain, rendering creativity and problem-solving and agile thinking impossible at the physiological level. If we can mitigate fear, if we can mitigate anxiety, if we can dissipate stress, we open up our brains for ourselves and for all of our employees to creativity, agile thinking, problem solving. You know, how do we get um, cars disinfected right before people come to pick them up after service? How do we deliver safe disinfected cars for test drives? Like these are all questions that need to be answered and creative responses to this is going to enable you to get back to work. And I'm, leaning into your business out of my own. So these are examples I'm just sort of making up, take them with a grain of salt. Point being is that when we're in the right state of mind, we can be creative, we can be agile, we can definitely problem solve and to think in a different way, eliminating the fear of failure and opening us up to incredible possibilities when it comes to our ability to do things differently in the future. So to sort of pull all of this together and summarize a few things for you, What I'm really hopeful for all of us is that we consider that returning to normal is not a viable path forward if we want to be more successful in the future than we were in the past. I would submit that all of us need to reimagine a future where the future is better than the past. I believe that the way to reimagine the future for your businesses, at least for the next 18 months, is going to be to consider that health, safety, and wellness are now priority number one, and that if you do those things well, you will have a tremendous business advantage over your competition, not to mention that you're going to take wonderful care of the people and your employees and your customers and your community. In order to do that, practicing psychological safety will enable you to mitigate any sort of fear, stress, and anxiety that your people feel as we return to work and the mechanism to elevate your psychological safety is to ensure that your communication is absolutely clear, open, honest, and transparent. When we do all of those things, ultimately we unlock our possibilities for ourselves as individuals and as organizations. So I will send all of these slides out. If anyone has any questions or comments or opinions about any of this or wants to chat about it, I'll make sure my contact info is in there as well. And like I said before, I am very thrilled and honored to be able to support the Bank of Montreal through this time, given that my first job was with BMO, and I've, I've been consulting for BMO for the last very, very long time. So I hope that that was helpful and, and beneficial. And, Jamie, I will throw it back over to you uh, just to sort of wrap things up and see if there's anything else that I can support you with. Fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Wells, for, for your insights. <clears throat> no question, there's some great information out there for all of us to consider as we really start looking through the uh, the windshield, as they say, uh, moving down the road to recovery from, from COVID. So I'll certainly take some great stuff from uh, from that piece. Uh, as a reminder to all of you, today's call was recorded and is available for playback. And you can find those details within the invitation. So feel free to share that playbook playback number with, with your colleagues. So this concludes our call for for today, um, and thank you very much for, for joining this call. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. 
you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more insights, visit bmocm.com slash COVID-19. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns, Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal. To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.